You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Oh, that was good. So good. Just let the, the choir get their seats. Cool, it's great to be with you this morning. It's great to be a bit closer to you as well. It's really nice to actually see it a bit more normal in here, a little bit more. Every step is a bit closer, isn't it? Excuse me. Oh, that was powerful. (sighs) Tom requested that I was careful with my visual aids this morning because we're talking about the sword of the spirit. And I think he was imagining that I might come in with a samurai sword and start swinging it about. And seeing as I'm a bit closer as well, but he's actually in the firing line, so it's kind of okay now. Um, But yeah, we're continuing our series on the armor of God from Ephesians 6. Hopefully you guys have been tracking through with us as we've been going along. And Well, this morning was the first time that I got on the scales in the bathroom since we started the series. And the armor must be really heavy because it's quite shocking, so... Can I hear an amen to that? No. You guys too, yeah. I'm getting a quite a lot of feedback here. Is that take it down just a little? Thanks. Thanks, Graham. So I'm I'm really excited about this because when I was growing up, I absolutely loved playing with swords. My whole family, we all loved playing with swords. I I don't know why it was, it's just something to do with maybe the movies that we watched. We watched a lot of Robin Hood and stuff like that. And there's something really attractive about this connection between hand and you know the action and oh, there's a discipline there and there's skill and there's practice required to wield a sword and, uh, and we're going to look at this morning at what Paul means when he uses this metaphor about the sword of the spirit and, and how we can apply this practically in our daily lives in our spiritual battle because we are in a battle and it's raging on every day and if you don't think as a Christian that you're in this battle you're deceived we've got to recognize it We've got to be prepared for it. We've got to be ready to fight this battle. And as Paul says, we've got to stand firm with this God-given protection that we've got and our provision. But don't forget as we go along that he is our ultimate champion. He has already won the victory. But we're still in this spiritual fight. So I thought I'd continue today with some visual aids because it seems to have been a bit of a theme. So I've brought along this lightsaber. And one of our favorite films when I was growing up was Star Wars. And uh, this is actually a pretty underwhelming lightsaber. I mean, it's just plastic. But if you don't know what a lightsaber is, I'm hoping you would all get this reference because it's, you know, it's young and old. It's been out for like 40 years and they're still coming out with ones. So hopefully you all get this reference. But it's a light sword that when you turn it on, it comes out and you can basically cut through anything. It's amazing. And they had to have skill and practice with it to actually know how to use it without, you know, using it wrong. So... Here's my lightsaber, and I'm just going to put that up, up there for you to, you can look at that while we're going on. It's got R2-D2 on it as well, so that's cool. But I'll come back to that later. But first I'm going to remind us of these verses from Ephesians 6 as we go along. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Wow, this is exciting. The sword of the Spirit. Does that not sound cool? That's pretty cool. So the first thing I want to say is that the sword is the word. The other things, they're defensive, you know, like the shield and the helmet and, you know, the other armor. It's, it's defensive. They're defensive armor. But the sword, the sword is a weapon. And it's for attacking and it's for defending. You've all seen these films as well, you know, where they're bearing down on somebody. It's for defending and it's for attacking. It's defensive and it's offensive. It's for taking ground and it's for cutting down the enemy. And if we look at the Greek, I thought we'd have a look and see what this is written in and check how good our translations are. So the word that Paul uses for, it, for sword is makarein. I can't say that right, makarein, which means sword. So well done, translators. Good job. That's great. Um, and it means basically a cutting implement, a knife or a dagger. And some translations suggest that actually it's like a butcher cutting meat. It's quite like violent, you know, a butcher cut meat. And this is not wimpy, this language. This is, you know, quite violent language. It's, it's a violent weapon. And it's a bit uncomfortable as we speak about it like that. But we need to remember this context as we move along is that it's not physical, it's spiritual, this battle that he's talking about. So he's using these metaphors that we can understand, that we can think of. And we think of this dangerous weapon, this cut in action. He's using the metaphor so that we can get a hold of this and get a mental picture of this violent, offensive weapon and what we're going to do with it. And this is what we need it for, is to attack the enemy spiritually. So he, takes, he says, take the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit being the same word used in other places for Holy Spirit. We know what that is. It's God act, God's active Spirit alive and at work in us. Take the sword of the Spirit. It's a weapon of the Spirit. And it's important to note that we're not wielding God here. We're not, you know, Jesus is not a sword and we don't wield him in this. This is his provision from and of the spirit of, of God who's at work in us. It's his provision. So we take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is your Bible. Yes. Well, sort of. Physically, no. I mean, the sword is not your Bible. You know, he's not saying in this metaphor, you know, I want to get this and like start bashing people over the head with it and stuff. You know, that's not physically it. You know, the sword of spirit is not your Bible. The sword is the message or the utterance of the message held within your Bible. And I'm provoking you a little bit here. You know I am. The Greek is rima, which means the spoken utterance of sound with meaning. So he's talking about the Rima Word of God. That is the message within our Bibles. So closed in your house, this is useless to you. In your mind and on your lips, it's the sword of the Spirit. When we speak out this message of the Word of God, the Word which he's spoken to the writers of the Bible, the inspired Word of God, this is the sword of the Spirit. 
And you might feel that I'm being a bit pedantic there, but I want to be specific. He's been building this mental picture with all the armor and the battle. And in this part, he's saying, when we speak out, <clears throat> excuse me, the authoritative word of God against the enemy, it's as though we're wielding a violent weapon against him. <clears throat> I blame the worship for that. <clears throat> That's how powerful the word of God is. It's a sharp, dangerous dagger against Satan, like a lightsaber cutting through. And am I splitting hairs about it being your Bible? Well, there is a difference. It's the message in your Bible. It's not about, you know, using it as a fly swatter. And what I'm really getting at here is it's what you do with it in these moments. There is power in it when it's on your lips and in your heart. And we'll see that later from some examples. The second thing I want to come to is that the word is the word. And as I wrote this, I realized now it sounds like that song, bird is the word, you know, bird, bird, bird is the word, just came to my head. The word is the word. What's, what is Paul referring to in this text? He says it's the word, the word is, is the sword. Is it scripture? It's, we, you know, we import these things. We know what we think this is. But Paul doesn't have Paul to use as the sword. The New Testament's not written yet. That point in history hasn't been written. So what's he talking about? And he's referring to the Old Testament as the word. That's his word. So then is Paul's, what Paul says after, is that as good as word to be able to use as the sword? So many people sort of run into trouble here because a lot of people like to pick and choose. And some people say, oh, well, I'm not really that keen on the Old Testament. You know, I'd rather stick to the New Testament. How are you gonna do that in this scenario? You know, when Paul's describing the word of the Old Testament. Or they might, they might not be keen on Paul, but they are usually keen on Jesus. They usually say, oh yeah, but I like Jesus. And I like what Jesus said. You can't isolate scriptures like this as God's word because we run into all these problems pretty quickly because it's all connected. The word, that, the word of God that Paul is referencing is the Old Testament. He reveres it as the word. And we find in Paul's letter, his language and his referencing is completely infused with the Old Testament. So much so that many places you don't even know where he's repeating the Hebrew Bible or where you know, patterns and teachings of the Hebrew Bible are coming through. It's, it's hard to actually find them sometimes until suddenly they become visible and pop. It's completely intertwined. And the greatest example of this and this interweaving of scripture is Jesus himself. He also did this in his sermons and his teachings are full of references, references to scripture and complete scriptures. So he's also referencing the Old Testament as the word. And he, di he didn't throw it out and start again, you know? He believes that as the word of God. And he shows errors in understanding and how he's the fulfillment of scripture. And in Luke, 20, uh, Luke 24 on the Emmaus Road, we see that where he's explaining to these two guys about himself within the scriptures of the Old Testament. Again, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Jesus grew up and he was educated in and saturated even in the, new, the Torah and the Psalms and the prophets. And he completely honored the Old Testament as the word of God. It's the revelation of God and of himself to the world and the power of God at work through the Holy Spirit. So we can't just believe the teachings of Jesus without honoring 
and revering the Old Testament as the word of God. It doesn't, it doesn't stand up. And the same is true of Paul and any of the New Testament writers that we find. But why should we honor the New Testament as the word of God? That's a good question because we've said the Old Testament is honored by Jesus. Well, the gospels are the witness accounts of the life of Jesus. We wouldn't have them unless Jesus set this up for those gospel writers to write about himself. So you can't hear about Jesus without the New Testament gospels. It's deliberate that we honor them as authoritative scripture, the revelation of God. And it's not just about the words that Jesus actually spoke that we find in the gospels because he was living with the disciples. They witnessed him all the time uh, and he was teaching them. He taught them more than we read in the, in the gospels. So we honor them and we trust what the witnesses passed on as the word of God. And we honor that as well. And the only one who didn't witness, them, witness Jesus physically was Paul. He had a supernatural revelation of God. But when the witnesses realized that Paul was preaching the same message as them, they honored him as well. And they said, the words you're speaking are authoritative as well. And if it was good enough for the disciples, it's good enough for us. And that's why we honor the New Testament as the word of God as well. This is a quote from Bruce Metzger. Neither individuals nor councils created the canon, the Bible as we have it now. Instead, they came to recognize and acknowledge the self-authenticating quality of these writings, which imposed themselves as canonical upon the church. They recognized them as the authority. They didn't make the Bible. They recognized the authority of the word that was being passed down. If you've got a problem with this or you're not sure about it, go and investigate it. Ask these questions. Let's find out together. Let's look at the, the actual evidence for the Bible. The whole message of the Bible leads to Jesus. We can't pick and choose some parts of it and, and just chuck out the bits that we don't like. It's unified. The word is the word. All of it is the sword. And this doesn't mean that we just take it at face value though. You know, we've got to mine it. We've got to keep digging deeper into the word to get things out of it. We, I don't know why God chose to reveal himself in this way, he, but he chose this way. He chose this way to pass it down to men, to write it down, that we would have to mine and dig deep into it to get more and continued revelation from him. So it's up to us to train with it, to keep mining it, and to pray for more revelation of God's character and his will through his word to us. Number three is wielding the word. And understanding it is important. This understanding we've talked about, about what the Bible is, what it represents, that is important because the practical application of this, the sword of the spirit as the word of God, how are we gonna practically apply this to our lives on a daily basis? All good, nice talk, but, well, nice talk, I'm saying that, but nice talk, you know, speaking it out. But how do we actually apply these things when we come up against daily battles in our lives? Well, we've established that the message or utterance of the message of the word of God is like wielding a sword against the enemy. But how, how do we use this? So I've got an example here that's been demonstrated really, really well for us, I would say almost perfectly. And that's in Matthew 4, verse 1. 
And you can also find it in Luke 4. I just thought that was a handy for Bible trivia quiz, uh, Bible trivia quiz there. You can find it in Luke 4. We're going to look at Matthew 4, and it's going to come up on the screen just behind me. And the demonstrator, this is Jesus, which is cool. And uh, excuse me, in between, I'm going I'm to break it up and, and put in some commentary as well, so you have to bear with me. So Matthew 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No wonder. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.3 And this is incredible because he's saying he's not only wielding it as a sword against the enemy right now, he's also saying, it's more than bread to me. It's sustenance, it's nourishment to me. You've got these so many levels that the word works on. He's actually using it as a sword in this moment and he's actually saying, that's even better than food. You can't even tempt me that way. And look where he's quoting from, Deuteronomy. Way, way, way back here. lost my place now. It's a powerful statement about what Jesus believes about the Old Testament. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. Interesting. This is Satan now who's quoting scripture. He knows his Bible. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And that's from Psalm 91. Remember, Satan said that. Jesus answered him, it is also written. They're having like a scripture off. It is also written, do not put the Lord Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6, 13. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. The word is on Jesus' lips and in his heart. He's not out there in the desert with loads of big Isaiah scrolls and stuff, you know, carrying them around like the devil comes at him and he's like, hold on, unrolling the scrolls. It's on his lips and in his heart for the moment that he requires the sword. And that's why I'm making the distinction between saying this is not the sword. Because if you think that having it over there or leaving it at home, it means you've got a great sword. Well, it's like going into the battle and saying, hold on a sec, I've got a sword at home. It's not, it's not useful to you. We need to get this in our hearts and on our lips. And I'm preaching this to myself because I would love to be able to know more scripture, to have it memorized. We seem to have lost this skill a bit in our society. I think a little bit because of Google. You know, we just go, oh, well, I can know it when I need to. That's not good enough for the word. We need to get this inside. And I like the, uh, the NASB, actually, New American Standard Version, where instead of away from me, Satan, he says, go away, Satan. I just thought that was quite cool. Just go away. Get out of here. So we've got two points to discuss from this. Jesus is wielding the word as a sword, and Satan's ability to deceive us even with scripture 
the person who isn't grounded. We see Jesus being tempted and the enemy is coming at him. And Jesus uses the word of God against him, the sword of the spirit to cut down the attacker and to defend. And this is the practical application for our daily lives, for our spiritual walk and our spiritual battle. The enemy is attempting to do this to you on a daily basis. He's trying to tell you and to whisper lies in your ear on a daily basis. And we have got to speak out the word against him. The powerful, sharp, true word of God. And I like what John Piper said on the sword, that it's for killing sin. And this could be slightly confusing because you could think, well, Jesus, you know, conquered death and sin at the cross. And that's true. But it doesn't mean that it's not coming at you on a daily basis. We are free as we live in him. But it still means that this is coming at us. If this is confusing, you can ask me about it later. But I like it. He says it's for killing sin. If you want to kill sin, speak the word of God out when the tempter comes. It's the earlier image that we talked about of this violent, offensive weapon. That's where this comes into our minds of how the word of God works against the enemy. There's a violent spiritual struggle going on in our lives and in our daily walks. And we need this weapon. We need a powerful, cutting, hacking tool to take down and defend against the enemy. And sometimes you're going to feel like it's bearing down on you and you're holding it like this, like they do in the films. And you've got to turn it around. Keep working with the tool. Keep attacking and keep defending with the word of God. And it's not just about reading it. It's about speaking it out. Reading it is great. But that's not this word that Paul uses. It's about speaking it out. And I don't know, most of you probably know this, but do you know that the Bible was designed to be spoken? The Jews practiced this. It was designed to be spoken. Paul's letters were, were designed to be read aloud in community, in a wonner. It's quite a long time. Somebody would stand and read the letters out to everybody. It's designed to be spoken and read aloud. And I've been trying to practice this a little bit, and I can tell you that it is powerful when you start to try and... It feels a little bit weird at first. You start reading it aloud as you're reading. But it is powerful to read Scripture aloud. There's something incredibly powerful about the spoken word and about declaring it. Remember that Rima word, the spoken utterance of the message and how we declare it as we should. We know that words are powerful because we know how they affect us when people say things about us. Maybe that's why God decided to do it this way because he knew how powerful words were. You know what it's like when somebody attacks you verbally. It feels very oppressive. We know how powerful words, you know, you could go away and think on something for a week that somebody said to you. It's just words, but it sticks. Words are powerful and we need to speak God's truth over our lives and our minds daily. And when the moments of temptation come, we need to speak out God's word against the enemy and declare his word. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, Hebrews 4. All scripture is God-breathed to Timothy. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him, Psalm 18. His word is so good, and you can almost feel it when you read out scripture, just the sense of it. It's so powerful. The second point we need to take from Matthew is that it's not just to 
enough to read it and even to learn it. We have to dig deep and gain wisdom in how to apply this in situations. The passage we looked at earlier, Satan tries to use scripture against Jesus. He says it is written and then quotes the Bible. He's trying to trip him up or or, or get him with his own sword, you know? So it's really important because we can misunderstand things, we can misinterpret things, and we need to dig into it, and we need to learn how to apply these things. Because the other thing we can do is that he can whisper to us so we can twist things for our own purposes. How many of you know this is true? I've certainly done this. Oh, well, God kind of said it like this, so maybe it doesn't mean it quite like this, and I can just kind of sneak it in like that. I mean, for example, Solomon having 700 wives is not prescriptive. And I'm thinking that's actually quite a good job, you know. Um, She's not here, so I can say things like that. Yeah, it's not prescriptive, but you know, we can take things like that, we can twist them to our own purposes and say, well, it's in the Word. You know, I read it the other day. It's the same trick that the enemy did at the beginning. Did God really say you can't eat of the tree? Did God really? And it's all around us just now. The world is encouraging that all our physical desires are healthy. Shouldn't suppress anything. Don't suppress anything. It's all good. Does he he really say, does he really mean deny your fleshly desires sometimes? Did God really say, or can we just leave that bit out? Solomon had loads of wives. We need to figure this out. We need to dig deep into these things to gain understanding and how to apply them. So we've got to train with the sword. We've got to study it in depth and we've got to ask God for more revelation and understanding it. And having no understanding can be as dangerous to us and to others as it would be to the enemy. Because he can do that, he can trick you. He tried to trick Jesus, I mean, he tried to trick Jesus. Come on. This lightsaber, when it's turned, I know this is not impressive, I'm really sorry, it's not, I don't have a full-on electrified sword. But this lightsaber, when it's turned off, is meant to be small and concealed. And when it's on, it's meant to be a powerful light sword. I'm gonna do it, it's not gonna be very effective. But powerful light sword. And the Bible's like this, because it, it might be scary, you might think we're gonna do it wrong, you, know, you might think we're gonna misapply it, or I don't really wanna get into it because I might do it wrong or something. But unless we start training, unless we switch it on, it's not very good. Not saying the Bible's not very good, this is not very good. We've got to start training with it. We've got to dig into his word. And it's the same with this, you've got to open it, and we've got to engage with it. His word is a deep, deep mine of treasure that we can keep digging out, and God wants us to learn in this way. He designed it for us to learn in this way. Again, I don't know why, but he designed it like this. He wants us to bury his word deep in our hearts. Psalm 119. For some reason, he chose to reveal himself in this way, speaking to people and to pass on these revelations about his character and his divine plan of salvation, this word of life. It's for fighting the enemy, but it's also for nourishment for our souls. Jesus said it there, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's more important and more nourishing than bread. It's a sword and it's nourishing. 
So we could, when we need it for attacking, we've got it. We need it for protection, we've got it. For killing sin and for rebuking the devil. I don't know if the band want to go up just now. I'm just coming to a close. I just want to leave you with one more illustration. And it's of the hothouse. Basically, when I was a part-time firefighter for a while, I really enjoyed it. It was great. We had to do all this training, obviously. And they would put us in this place called the hothouse. The hothouse had simulated fires in it. But, you know, it was real fire, real flames. And it was hot. It's like the name. And you had to get really low because it was thousands of degrees up there. And they sent you in there so that you could fight these fires, these simulated fires. And we went in there, we had this hose, huge hose, intense pressure on the hose, huge amount of volume of water behind it. All the volume of water that's needed to extinguish the fire. And we had a handle with a nozzle on the end and a handle on the top. And they would teach us that actually, I think there's a picture, actually rather than shooting it directly at the fire, it was better to fan it out a little bit so that you could have a shield as you were attacking the fire. Defensive and offensive. This fire is coming for you. This is like our everyday. There is fire there coming over your head. It's trying to consume you. That's what this spiritual battle is like. And you're standing there with a hose in your hand with an intense pressure of water that has the power to save you. This has the power to save you. You can't save yourself by standing there. The pressure and the water and the volume of water to extinguish the fire can save you. You might have to train the nozzle to get better at fighting it. But the most important thing you have to do is to open the valve and not just stand there and burn up. And this is like walking around with our Bibles closed. That's like not opening the valve and releasing the power, God's power, over the fire. The sword of the Spirit is not your Bible. Just because you have one means nothing. It's the rima, word of God, the spoken utterance of the message contained within your Bible. That is the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's weapon. And it's got the power to transform our minds, to protect us and to nourish us and to disarm Satan. So when temptation comes at you, kill it with the sword. When sin tries to overtake you, kill it with the sword. The Holy Spirit is working through his word to cut deep into dark places. And he's unleashing this powerful message of salvation, of hope and of truth, of the character and the wonder of our Father, Creator and Lord Jesus into the world. So take up the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, that you might stand firm against the enemy. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen.